everybody and welcome to another episode of laws and grace i'm laws i'm grace and today we're here with aaron hall best-selling author and it's going to be a great episode well i mean with uh that kind of introduction i just want to jump right in and say well, how does it feel to say that <laughs> add that to um it's, it's fun i don't know like to be perfectly like upfront i'm not like a new york times bestseller i'm not like a usa today bestseller but it's, i'm an amazon bestseller which means i've reached number one best-selling status in like two or three very obscure categories like that's all it means so it's it's fun to say it's good for like marketing ammunition but it doesn't mean a lot yet so okay so it's bestseller in terms of Amazon in a specific category, correct? Yeah, yeah, because the categories on Amazon can get so niche and so specific that it's like, it's not that hard to become a number one bestseller if you're savvy enough. Um, I reached number one bestselling status in Christian fantasy and sword and sorcery fantasy ebooks. You know, I did, I was starting to wonder about the number of number one bestselling authors there were out there. Mm -hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, if I was like, a number one bestseller on Amazon in general, I would not have a day job. Like I would just be <laughs> writing all the time, but uh, that's not how it is right now. But still, you have earned the title as a best-selling author. I feel like you should just kind of drop that casually everywhere. <laughs> I, I don't want to be that guy though. I mean, it's definitely a fun thing to say if it comes up, but I've never been the kind of person that wants to like toot my own horn. Um, I will say though that it was... I did manage to reach that status because of a pretty like careful marketing campaign that I ran back when I was uh, uh, taking time off of a normal day job to just focus on my book marketing. So if things didn't line up just as they should have in that like 48 hour period where I was promoting things hard, it wouldn't have happened. Okay, I wanna hear about that actually. Cause so you, you did your own marketing campaign, right? Is that what I you're saying? I did. So it was summer last year where I was really dissatisfied in my, my previous job. So um, I had a good little cash cushion saved up and I decided to quit and just for three, four months, focus on marketing my books and then find my next full-time thing. Um, and I planned this campaign around um, like a 48 hour time period. It was like a Saturday and Sunday where I was, I was figuring, you know what, I'm going to take it across all these channels and like, advertise and just try to um, get my book in front of the faces of people who would care. And number one, I made the book free for 48 hours. So it was a free download. So people are buying it, but they're buying it for $0 and zero cents. And uh, what I did is I did Facebook um, ads. I did Amazon ads. Um, a big thing that I did was go into Facebook groups and subreddits of people who look for discounted eBooks or free eBooks or people who love fantasy and just let them know, hey, this is free for 48 hours, like go get it. And it generated thousands of downloads across the world. So it was, if I didn't do all of that, I never would have reached bestseller status. I, I'm like thinking like just all the work that goes into writing a book and then let alone doing all of your own like marketing and pushing it and then having, you know, thousands of downloads. That's awesome, Aaron. That's a huge, con like a, a huge congratulations, a, a huge accomplishment. Um, Thanks. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's that case with a lot of authors. I mean, even if you're traditionally published, like if you're a Brandon Sanderson or if you're like a 
still kind of a nobody like me, like most of the time you have to do your own marketing. So there's yeah. a lot of stuff you have to learn and a lot of, a lot of elbow grease you have to put in besides just writing the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd love to, I mean, we kind of just like skimmed over your bio, but I feel like this is actually really fascinating. <laughs> I kind of want to keep going down this, this, um, this road, but just to, by way of introductions to our guest. Um, so today we're speaking with Aaron Hall. And as he mentioned, he's a best-selling author um, on Amazon, as we just learned um, for his, okay, I must make sure it's Weevilin Chronicles, right? Am I saying the, that right? No, it's the Weevilin yeah. Chronicles. It was, it was, it was, it was a, a respectable effort. It was good. Thanks. Good job. But Thanks. It's Weevilin, yeah. Weevilin. We even practiced beforehand and I butchered it. So it's just every time you're worried about saying something wrong, you will say it wrong. That's just the nature of things. Yeah, you got in your own head. I know. It's it's true. It is very true. This podcast life is so much pressure. I just, you know, <laughs> I can't, I can't uh, live up. But um, so you started writing this. Okay, I was doing some like internet sleuthing. You actually started writing the first book when you were 15. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Okay, I take us back to like the beginning of like why like why did you begin doing this? Where did this idea come from? And like let's just go on a journey together mm. of your experience with this. Well, I think we need to backtrack a little further and just like figure out where my love of storytelling came from and that was like a really young age. I think I was uh maybe like 9 or 10 um where I discovered that a lot of the creative writing assignments that were given to us in elementary school, like really excited me. And like, you know, I got it really happy about doing them. Um, there was like a parent teacher conference where my, my parents came and sat down with my teacher and um, he brought up this Halloween short story that I wrote for class one day. And he was like, Oh, it's so good. It's got action. And it's got the humor. Like he's got this real talent for storytelling. And that was one of the first times where someone told me that, um, something I really enjoyed doing is something I was really good at and you know at the same time I was playing some video games that kind of like really sparked my my um, creativity like Zelda and Skies of Arcadia and I was just like whoa these are whole new worlds and they're fantastic and they have these amazing characters and I want to do things just like this so that was just that was a gas on the fire um, so ever since then I just kind of loved opportunities to write stories they wrote little stories for my friends like um, when I was in sixth grade and, you know, I was writing poems and songs because I wanted to be a musician, but it was when I was 15 that I was sitting in seminary one day at my little middle school in St. George. And we watched this video about this prince who was kidnapped and the, their bandits tried to like subject him to riotous living with like gluttony and lust and whatever. And he wasn't having any of that. And they were eventually like, dude, what the heck? Like, why won't you partake in these pleasures? And he was like, because one day I'm meant to be king. And to me, that was such an interesting concept of you cannot have this monarchical rule unless you are a virtuous, good person. And I was like, how would someone develop that and turn that into like an epic, like a big story, like a TV show or a movie? And I was like, well, well I could, I'm just going to start writing a book about this. And it became the Webleyan Chronicles. That's what it developed into. That's really cool. So you, so when did you publish your first book? Um, I published Foreordained. That's the name of the first book in the Webleyan Chronicles. When I was 22, um, I, I spent big portions of high school, like working on the first draft. And I finished the first draft when I was about 18, like right after was, um, my 18th birthday. And I wanted to send it off and uh, see if a publisher would pick it up, but I just didn't have a good feeling about it at the time. So 
Um, served a mission, came home, and then I spent about a year, year and a half revising that manuscript until it got to the point where I felt like it was ready to get published. And that's when um, I learned about Amazon self-publishing and, you know, hired a friend of mine to do a cover design for it. And I published for ordained. I think I was like 23 at the time. I think that's how old I was. Okay. So it's like eight years in the making from when you kind of originally started, right? Am I doing that right? Yeah, it sounds about right. Like seven, eight years. Tell me a little bit and Lauren, feel free to jump into, sorry, I feel like I'm just kind of dominating. Um, I'd love to know kind of a little bit about your writing process. Like everyone kind of has their own setup, but what, what's your writing process when writing for books? Oh, it's, it's a little different for everybody. Um, when you get into the writing universe, you kind of learn that most writers are kind of separated into these two camps. You've got pantsers or people who fly by the seat of their pants. They just kind of like write the story as they go and they discover it along the way. And then you have plotters who are the people who are very meticulous and they like the detail. They like mapping out the entire story before they even like get to write it. Um, I'm somewhere in between. Um, I feel much better about attempting, whether it's a short story or a novel, I like to outline out the entire piece, um, whether it's, you know, bullet points for chapters or um, putting together graphs of like characters and like how they need to progress by the end of the story. Um, but once I'm in the nitty gritty of writing it, like after I've plotted, after I've outlined and I'm into the writing process, Sometimes I'll abandon the things that I had written down in my outline and adopt something that just feels better in the moment. And sometimes that, you know, that frequently causes me to go back and reassess what I had plotted previously. Um, but yeah, like my, my daily quota is typically like a thousand words a day um, in the drafting phase. And then when I'm revising, I'll do two chapters a day, approximately. Well, that's impressive. Um... I was just going to ask, since you are writing fantasy and writing an entire series, do you feel like you have to have it quite a bit planned out ahead of time? Um, I'm not Tolkien or Martin, <laughs> so no. Um, I mean, I was 15 years old when I first started writing this series. So it's kind of a miracle that the world and everything is as cohesive as it is because I was just a dumb kid when I started <laughs> writing it. Um, so lucky. Yeah, but... I, I recently did a revision of that first book to kind of bring it up to the quality of the later stuff that I've written. And the world has come together pretty well. I've, I've, I've left some holes open to explain a lot of the, like the deeper lore that happened like thousands of years prior to the events of foreordained and purged and awakened. Um, but I feel like the world has come together pretty well, but you do have to keep like pretty careful notes on um, what happened and where and any like, important myths or legends that affect the way that people live and I don't know there's like a whole other volume of literature I've been kind of like putting together as I went along with the uh the Wevelian Chronicles called the Wevelian Compendium that has a lot of kind of the explanation it's like a big appendices mm -hmm. um but it's it is challenging but it's a lot of recording and keeping track and making sure you're staying consistent on everything yeah I was going to say that was going to be my next question is if is there extra pressure because you're writing fantasy to compare yourself to like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter um I try not to just because you know like it's happiness healthy. yeah like you know, comparison is the enemy of happiness and if I'm always comparing myself to like 
Tolkien and Rowling and Martin, it's like I'll never ever get anything done because they're so far ahead of what I am right now. Um, but I, I just try to write the best stories that I can. And I, I feel like uh, they speak for themselves. I love getting the messages from readers who say, oh my gosh, like I stayed up until 2 a.m. reading this. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Don't stop writing. Like that stuff gives me life. So um, yeah, I try not to compare myself too much to the greats. I think it's cool. Like, obviously I'm not a fantasy writer, so I'm learning about this through you and, you know, but mm -hmm. I think it's kind of cool. This whole idea that you can kind of create this whole world, this whole, you know, like I'm looking at yeah. like, your website, you've got like maps on your, you know, your, your freebie sections mm -hmm. of like this world that you've created. Like, it's kind of cool to be able to take something in your mind and bring it to life on a page and yeah. have other people be able to experience this world that you've created like exactly and and it makes it so much richer when they have like an emotional experience with it like when they've when they're drawn into the characters and they develop relationships with them and when um they they feel the excitement or the anger or the fear that like they're experiencing as well i mean to take readers on an emotional journey like that is what makes it all worth it to me are there bits in the story um that you, like you've written yourself into the story a little bit? Um, I think all of the characters have a little bit of me in some degree. Um, for example, when you start writing, when you start reading For Ordain, the first book, I mean, Jason is very insecure and unsure of himself and he feels kind of the weight of expectations that people have placed on him and he's trying to cope with that and trying to figure out what to do with it. So I kind of embodied him embodied a lot of my insecurities in him at the time um and then you've got his love interest Sarayan, who kind of shows up part way through the book and she's very uh gregarious and very like flirtatious and fun but like very spunky and i feel like i have those in me as well but like every character has like a little bit of me in them um it, it's fun to definitely like model characters after people you know but I don't know. It's all, it's almost like a child, you know, like this is, this is the work of, of my brain that I've put onto this page and every character has a little bit of me in them. Do you model any of the characters after actual people? Like, are there characters in your book that you're like, oh yeah, that's like my best friend from junior high or something like that? Uh, my dad, Master Faribault is like the, uh, the helpful guide representative character in, in the series. And as I describe him, like, I didn't even think I realized this as I was doing it, but I kind of like described how my dad looked. Um, you know, he's got glasses and, you know, he's a little bit bigger, like stockier guy. Um, and Master Faribault, I mean, I, it's easy to draw that comparison of like, I feel like my, my dad's been my guide in a lot of things in my life. And uh, Master Faribault is the guide for Jason as he kind of navigates his calling to become a king. Um, yeah, so I, it's, I feel like that's probably the strongest thing that I've, uh, that I've like tethered to a real life person. That's cool. I feel like that would be a part that I would really enjoy is like the developing of characters of people, like just, I don't know. I just, I'm reflecting on like, if I were to write a story, what would I do? And I think yeah, just that, that development of 
people that I know and putting them into stories. I probably yeah. do that. You might want to be careful though, because sometimes like you'll have an unsavory character and then homeboy is going to come up to you and be like, Grace, what the heck? Why did you write me like this? I know that's me. I'll be like, yeah, because that's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you do, never admit it. Never admit that it's about somebody. I'm like, yeah, that's not you. Yeah, for sure. Please, why would I think it's you? Yeah, why do you think it's you? Because you know you're a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Are you familiar with writer's block? And do you have any hacks for getting out of it? You know, as I've continued to write and hit my daily quota every day, I become more and more convinced that writer's block is a non-issue. It's not actually a real thing. I think it's something that we just allow ourselves to get in our own heads a little bit too much. Because um, writing to a quota, honestly, is like the biggest um, weapon against writer's block that I've used, where it's like, I'm going to write my 700 words today, even if they're garbage, I'm going to write those 700 words. And then usually when you go back and read and like read what you wrote on a writer's block day, it's not that bad. It's just like, sometimes we get into these headspaces of just like, oh, I can't do it today. And, you know, listen to your body, listen to your mind. If you've pushed yourself too hard and you need to just take a break, that's fine. But writer's block, I don't know. I, I'm starting to think it's like not really a thing that we can, that we can overcome it. Are you saying consistency and forming habits actually works? Yes, precisely. Dang, that's not what I want. I wanted to hear that uh, <laughs> there's just a magic trick to No, I I'm sorry, Lauren. Sometimes it's just work. You know, a lot <laughs> of the writing process is just freaking work. Yeah, I've been trying. I, I, I also agree. And I think that most authors and screenwriters and different people will tell you you just got to write every day but even though I've heard it a million mm -hmm. times it's helpful to hear it again yeah but I love when it's become like a habit to where if you've gone like a day or two where you haven't written it's like uh, I just need to sit down in my with my computer where no one's around and I can just write and like let these ideas come out like that's a good feeling when you like miss writing I kind of love that yeah I lately have been trying to get into that routine and I try to remind myself uh kind of like you were saying that it's like I love writing so like to make the time shouldn't be it's not like a chore it's like this is a gift to myself yes to take the time to write mm -hmm. because in theory I love it <laughs> yeah for sure and like I don't know I'm not a gym rat or anything but I feel like writing is kind of like a similar thing where you love doing it and you love going and making the time to write but also it can feel like it can be difficult, like as you're sitting there and as you're writing, just as it is when you're like running or lifting weights, um, writing can feel hard. Like you're sitting there, you're looking at a blank page with a cursor just blinking on and off and you're thinking, where does this go next? And you have to like force yourself to come up with something that makes sense, you know? So it can be challenging, but I kind of love that, honestly, just figuring out where the story should go and how it can connect with your reader and like create that emotional experience. It's just so fun. Yeah. Um, in writing fantasy, I feel like there are certain things that you can, you can either go off certain things that already exist, like this is a bad example, but like unicorns, dragons, or you can like create entirely new creatures like Fantastic Beaks came out recently, right? And they keep creating new and new characters. 
Sure. So how have you kind of like navigated that, like sticking with what works, but also coming up with your own ideas? Um, that's, I don't know. I think like that's kind of individual to the author. For me, I do like to have some things rooted in, you got to have some things rooted in reality. Otherwise you're going to like lose your readers because they have to, they're only willing to suspend their disbelief to a certain degree. And then it just becomes like, okay, come on. They just get tired of it. Um, for me, I think I tried to ground the story in reality with a lot of the class structures and the socioeconomic situations that uh, the, cus the customers, I'm still in my work head a little <laughs> bit, but the, uh, the characters are dealing with. Um, and just carefully looking at your characters and their motivations and what's important to them and making sure they behave accordingly. I mean, if you mess up on your characters and they do something that feels out of character that like, oh, Jason wouldn't do that or Taryn wouldn't do that. Like you've lost your reader. Like you, you've gone from a five-star book to a two-star book. So it's like, I don't know. A, a lot of the fantasy, fantasy stuff with the magic and the, the made up fruits and the made up animals, like that's cool, but you do have to ground your characters in reality. And does that answer your question in any way? I feel like I kind of rambled. Um, I think that's a great, thing that you said whether it answered the question or not because I think everybody listening can think of something where you were watching it or reading it where you're like the character would never do that mm -hmm. and then you get like outraged yeah and, and if a character does do something that seems outrageous like you as a storyteller need to make it clear to the audience like why they're doing that thing like what is motivating them to do that thing um because in the third book of the Webling Chronicles, Awakened, there's some characters that do some things you never, ever thought they would ever do if you read the first two books. But like, they're put in certain situations and presented options in a way that's very compelling, almost to the point where they feel like they have no choice. So it's that's when it becomes like believable and heartbreaking, you know? I've noticed too that a lot of fans... Um because now there's more forums and different things where fans get to talking yes. and I've noticed fans will take things really personally. Have you had any feedback where they're like, I need you to have these two people get together or I need you to do this with the characters. Mm -hmm. um, some of the beta readers with some of the decisions I made in the third book were like, how dare you, how <laughs> dare you do this to this character? But as by the time they got to the end of the book, they're like, okay, I get it. You know, um, I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or like, if you like kill somebody off or mm -hmm. I know those can be really, um, hard decisions because yeah. as a writer, you get it, but the reader is so emotionally invested for sure. Um, but that's part of the emotional experience, you know, like it's not a bad thing to make a reader feel loss. Um, that's just part of life. But I mean, if you're going to kill a character, please like give a reason for killing the character. Like, don't just kill them for the sake of killing them. I think that's ridiculous. But like, make sure there's some narrative weight behind it. Make sure there's some like emotional substance to it. Otherwise, it's going to fall flat. And then, you know, your five star book goes to a two star book. You know? I was going to say, what is the most ridiculous or funny or something feedback that you've gotten? Um. My first one-star review that I got on Goodreads um, was from a reader that said Foreordained repeated itself over and over and over again. 
and to, at the time it didn't make much sense to me i'm like the story is very like fluid the way that it flows like it makes sense like nothing is repeating itself what are you talking about and then i finally figured out like oh she was talking about the way that i wrote the story like i was an amateur at the time i was 22 years old like a sophomore in college i was too poor to hire an editor and i self-published this book so i was using a lot of the same adjectives a lot of the same verbs where you know there just wasn't a lot of variety in the prose itself um but that changed with my recent recent revision i went through and really tightened things up and made it an easier read so um that's that's probably the thing that i would say about that is it hard to get like criticism on your book or is it just like whatever um it depends on the day um i remember looking and seeing that like someone gave one of my books like a two-star review on goodreads and i was like oh this book's amazing like everyone who's read it like loves this what's their problem and it, like ruined my day um and then other days i'm like you know what it's it obviously just wasn't for them it's fine there's still lots of people who love it like i'm not gonna let myself get bugged by this so it it's up and down it really depends well i can imagine like you've put so much work and energy into this you know like it's very vulnerable to release and publish a book oh and for sure leave it, like leave it up to the audience to be like okay do you like it or not <laughs> yeah i mean you pour like hundreds and hundreds of hours into writing a book and then like someone reads it just offhandedly it's like not even a big deal to them they might as well be like consuming a jolly rancher or a cinnamon roll like it's like the same thing to them and they they come back and say this is a bad cinnamon roll this is a bad book and you put so much love and care into it that it's like what why would you say that no it's great but also you don't see the flaws of your own work because it's like yours i don't know um so i think it's important to like listen to the feedback too like if if someone doesn't like my book and they have something valuable to say about it, like I want to hear what they have to say so I can improve, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I was looking at the, some of your reviews and stuff and you do, you have a lot of people that, that really like the books as well. How does that, how does that feel? It, it feels really good. It feels validating. Cause just like anything where, you know, you put a lot of love into something and someone comes back and says, this is incredible. Thank you so much for making this thing. It's just like, huh. Cool. It's all that hard work paid off. Great. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Switching gears a little bit here, Aaron. I love to video edit. Like I, it's, it's a passion. It's like a hobby. I really enjoy doing it, but I found doing it for work was almost hard because it took the, the enjoyment out of it for me because it just became work. Do you struggle mm -hmm. with that? Like working as a copywriter, but then also like doing your own writing. How do you balance the different types of writing and keeping writing fun for you? Um, it, it's really not that difficult for me personally, just because they feel like two different games. It's like going to work and writing about cookies all day is basketball. And then I come home and I skateboard. Like they're just two different things. Um, I like both of them a lot. Um, but my, my day job is a means to an end. It's how I pay for my necessities. And thankfully, I really enjoy it. And I love the people I work for. And I think the product that I write about is great. Um, but it, it's just a different vibe. I mean, it's, it's still that thing where I've built a habit in the evening where like, I want to come home and I want to write my story, you know, like I want to write about this big story that I've got brewing in my brain. And I don't get that at work. But when I'm at home, I also don't get the social interaction. And I don't 
get to learn new things about marketing and about messaging that I do at work. So um, yeah, I guess I'm writing like 10 hours a day, something like that when, when you look at it, but I like all of it. So it, it's not really a big deal. That's remarkable. Cause I, like, I have to have like separation. I've learned, like, I, I obviously like, I love the work that I do, but like, I have to have some things that are literally just hobbies. Like, yes. Like I have, like, I can't make my hobbies work because it literally ruins it for me sometimes. But no, I, I understand that. Like, I remember when I was studying film back, uh, back when I was at Dixie state, um, I, I got my own camera and I started like taking pictures of friends and like going on hikes and taking um, pictures of, you know, landscapes or whatever. I, and I still love photography, but then I got into like doing weddings and bridals and all that stuff to help me pay the rent when I transferred to UVU and shoot, that killed it for me. <laughs> like it was, uh, I, I still enjoy photography and I like taking my camera out whenever I'm exploring somewhere new. Um, but shoot, like it, it's, it kind of sucked a lot of the fun out of it, honestly. So I, I totally get that. But you don't experience that with writing? No, I don't. Huh. I do feel like copywriting is just this, well, sometimes it's not creative. And so it does feel like an entirely separate thing. Like you're just trying to meet an objective. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, if I was just like writing legal documents or anything like all day, that would be exhausting for me because that is not fun, but I get to write about cookies every day and that's fun. That's cool. So that, that gives me a little bit more energy. You uh, may have hinted at this, or maybe I'm reading too much into this, but do you have other books you're working on? Yes. Um, the next book that I'm working on right now is actually going to be free. It's going to be a free download for everybody who signs up for the newsletter on my website. Um, it's called, I'm Sorry, Here's a Plasma Rifle, a collection of short stories, poems, and pastry recipes by Aaron N. Hall. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's just going to be like a short freebie that's going to have a collection of short stories, poems, and pastry recipes. Um, it'll still be available on Amazon for people who want to purchase it or like get like a paperback version, but digital versions will be available for free for everyone who signs up for my newsletter. That's awesome. When is, when's the release on that? Um, I'm looking at August at the latest. I don't want to spend too long on this. I want to make it like a free fun thing that people can get their hands on as quickly as possible. So very soon. That is awesome. Um, when you, so you are self-publishing through Amazon, right? Mm -hmm. So you're doing like the print on demand or like, Talk us through like some of the technical aspects of that um, publishing. Well, Amazon streamlined the process pretty well. I think they're still kind of the kings in the self-publishing space just because number one, like 85% of people buy their books through Amazon. And um, Amazon was kind of like the first to do print-on-demand self-publishing and like Kindle Direct Publishing. They just made it really easy and accessible to people first. Um, there have been some like new kind of like newcomers into the game and they are doing some cool things, but I've always stuck with KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing. Um, it's really simple. I mean, you just kind of uh, make an account on Kindle Direct Publishing um, and it walks you through the process of like publishing your manuscript and um, getting a cover design made and, you know, they link it all together. So your paperback and your hardback and your Kindle book are like all the same title. Um, I don't want to bore you guys with too many of the details, but it's just basically you 
upload your formatted manuscript, you upload your cover design that's just the right size, and then you decide on a price and a release date and you click publish. It's pretty simple. Cool that it's so easy because I think there's so many people who are creating good stuff that it then gets stuck somewhere. Yeah. Like on somebody's desk or exactly wherever it gets stuck so it's so cool that you can just go you went and found your own audience Mm -hmm. and you make stuff and they have total access to it absolutely and i think that's part of the reason like traditional publishing is probably going to go the way of all the earth probably in the next like 20 years um there there have been some industry analysts kind of looking at it and authors and editors are all kind of saying the same thing where they you know they're they're saying traditional publishing is like becoming irrelevant just because the chance for success as a traditionally published author is so narrow and small and so time consuming. You could, you know, write half a dozen books and publish them, self-publish them onto Amazon and be building your audience, your fan base um, before a traditionally published book would even hit store shelves. Um, it just takes too long. There's too many gates to to pass through and it's becoming irrelevant. And a lot of self-publishing authors are making a really good living, um, you know, building their audience and their fan bases and just writing what they want to write. You know, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, it's, it is pretty amazing that you, it feels like a lot of work to have to write the thing and also market it. But, but that's the thing too, because a lot of traditionally published authors still have to do their own marketing. It's like, a lot of traditional publishers will print the books and they'll try to get them into bookstores and into libraries and whatever. But in terms of marketing and public relations, they kind of wash their hands and say, you're on your own, dude. Like if you want to plan a book tour, if you want to do a library book signing, if you want to pay for ad space, like it's on you. So it's like, why would anyone want to traditionally publish anyway? Like why? Cause I'm going to get 70% royalties from an ebook that I've self-published on Amazon, or I could get 8% royalties through you guys. And I still do all the work. So why the heck would I do that? You know? Yeah. Um, so does Amazon take 30%? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they, they take they take a portion of every sale. They take 30% of sales through ebooks. And um, I think with paperbacks, um, just because they also cover the price of printing and shipping and distribution, et cetera, et cetera, uh, they take 80%, but I'm still getting a 20% royalty from a paperback um and i think i get like a 13 percent royalty from a hardback so even on a hardback where i get the smallest royalty across all mediums i'm still getting a higher royalty than i than i would through a traditional publisher i didn't realize traditional publishing was that little it's it's really it's difficult it's really difficult to traditionally publish now sometimes i'm like yeah because writing is like what I love to do and all this stuff but sometimes I look at it as an industry and I'm like writers are not valued no they're not they are not it's really 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 hard to make a living just writing novels you have to be doing other things on the side yeah which is too bad because books change people's lives you know the readers appreciate it and and all the things but it's just the system is kind of set up to not really yeah that's a the publishing industry is like kind of lame it's kind of lame but you know what we do the best that we can I, I feel like traditional publishing is really putting more power into the hands of the creators and just you know just how youtube puts uh power into hands of creators and um 
you know, it, it's stuff like that. Looking back, would you have done anything different? Um, yes, I would have wanted to learn marketing more when I first published my book. I was really blessed with some just like weird happenstance um, situations when my book first got published. Like my school newspaper wanted to do a story on me. And then I had a friend like intern at KSL and he like wrote an article on me. Um, so I did get some like undeserved visibility because the book wasn't terribly great at the time. No, that's not true. It was great, but it was just not well written. I needed a lot more practice. Um, but yeah, if I could go back, I would have been a lot more strategic about my releases. And I still think there's a lot more work I could do about that now. Um, but yeah, the marketing aspect is hard. It's, it's really difficult. Um, for the listeners who might not be familiar with your work, how many books have you published? How many do you anticipate will be on the series? Tell us some of that kind of stuff. Um, I've written and published four books. So I've got one, two, three in the Wevelian Chronicles. Um, it's a uh, foreordained purge and then awakened. So those are the three that I have in the series so far. And then I wrote a superhero satire called My Name is Hammerfist about a down on his luck community college graduate who gets in a freak accident and starts fighting crime for a full-time salary. Um, it's ridiculous. It's fun. It's actually my highest rated title. Um, people who read it usually love it a lot. It's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I plan on revisiting the Wevelian Chronicles in the near future. Um, as of right now, I have plans for like seven books in the series um, that may develop. I think it's going to be like my, my Stormlight Archive, my Chronicles of Narnia, where it's like, I'll be writing stuff in this universe until the day I die. But uh, I have other stuff along the way I'm going to do as well. That's awesome. Do you ever do um, audiobooks? Um, it's on the table. I mean, people ask me about audiobooks all the time, but the problem is just developing an audiobook is expensive. I could probably record it myself with stuff that I have at home, but I would want it to be audiobook quality, you know, something someone would want to listen to in their car as they drive to work. And I think listening to me narrate all the characters like might not be that ideal experience. Fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, okay. What, this is a two-part question here. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. You ready? So the first mm -hmm. part is what would you say to people? How would you describe your books to somebody who's never read them? Okay. And then the second part is, is what would you tell what would you say to your fans who love the book? Ooh, um, number one, how would I describe it? It is, it is Game of Thrones meets the Chronicles of Narnia. It's about a kid who's foreordained by a dragon god to be the next king of a kingdom that's fallen apart under the rule of a tyrant. And we see how his life develops as he grapples with his responsibility and rises up to it. Um, and then for the people who have read the books and really love it and have just followed the journey, freaking thank you. Thank you so much for just consuming this thing that I've put so much soul into. Um, really grateful for even the people who didn't enjoy it. Like anybody who just like gave me a shot and uh, read my work. I'm just really, really grateful. What a humble, what a humble, humble soul. Well, I wouldn't say that. I got a lot of work to do in the humility department. 
We all do. Lauren, is there anything else? Um, no, I um, think you've got, given me a lot to think about as a potential writer, mm -hmm. a potential novel writer. Self-published, um, Lauren, self-published. Just I know. put out the, the best quality product you can and tell people and you know what you just it's a marathon it, it takes a long time but you'll you'll make it well and you know what else i love about self-publishing is i don't always like other people's feedback uh-huh <laughs> like i do wish i would like an editor you know for some like grammar things or whatever but i mean maybe you feel this too sometimes when you have the story so concretely in your head the feedback people give is to change the story instead mm -hmm. of like to help you improve the story you're trying to tell have you noticed that yeah um that's why it's like really important to have really good beta readers you know people who are willing to give you really honest straightforward feedback people who understand what a good story looks like because they want to develop the best book possible along with you and they'll help you see things that you didn't recognize as you were writing your work um yeah so, that's good feedback yeah like they i i wish i would have had beta readers when i first started writing because i didn't use beta readers until my second book and uh makes a big difference how did you find them um they're just a lot of them are just friends of mine you know who are avid readers and you know they can go through a book quickly but also provide really good feedback and I just hit them up and said hey like would you be okay with like reading this like when it gets published i'll give you a free copy i'll i'll give you a credit in the book as a beta reader like is that cool and usually they're just psyched about that and they're willing to do it um so yeah yeah there's some i always think oh there's already so many books out in the world but then i talk to people who read and they're reading like stacks of books you know like those people who read read mm -hmm. so much and consume so much so i'm like Maybe that, you know, it feels like a saturated space, but it's also not because there's so many people who just love reading. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like consuming anything else. It's just because you saw three good movies this week doesn't mean you're not willing to go see another really good movie. You know, if people recommend it, it's like people are always hungry for like a fresh new story that they can just dig their teeth into. Um, so I, I wouldn't be deterred by that. Do you have any like mentors? that you look up to as far as published authors? Oh gosh, um, there's a lot of authors that I look up to. I mean, no one that I've worked with one-on-one -on -one personally. Um, the first person that comes to my mind is Brandon Sanderson, just because he is such a great writer, but also I think he's even better as a teacher. Um, just the way that he makes his lessons so accessible to an entire generation of upcoming fantasy authors. Um, through his YouTube videos, through his podcasts, like he is all about passing on knowledge to the upcoming generation of storytellers. And shoot, that is just, I admire that 12 out of 10. Um, but as for writers who I just like, admire their style and their way of storytelling, really like Tolkien. He's just got a really poetic way of describing everything and his story. In my opinion, The Lord of the Rings is one of the greatest stories ever told. Like it's no question in my mind. Um, and I really like Ray Bradbury, the sci-fi writer. I feel like he has another way of writing, which brings you in and just like, like hits you right in the heart. Like, and read, 
read Fahrenheit 451 or the Martian Chronicles and like everything just leaves you like, whoa, like you're rocked. And it's just, oh, if I can do that, mission accomplished. Uh, along those lines, what knowledge would you impart on upcoming fantasy writers? Um, don't mind the haters. You're going to have them. It's fine. Like there's always going to be people who don't like your work, but write the kind of stuff that you want to read. Like, you know, write because you love it, not because you want to be like famous or rich because shoot, it might not happen. And at the end of it, you've left with all these stories that you've written and I would hope that you love them. I'd hope that you love them a whole lot. Um, but lastly, be consistent. Like if you, if you want to write novels and you know gain a fan base and share your stories with the world like please be consistent with your writing even if it's just like a couple paragraphs a day or something like make it a habit of writing consistently that's going to get you far advice yeah i i actually have a goal to write five minutes every day i'm not like writing a book or anything but for just like my own like mental health and like there's something so healing for me about writing mm -hmm. and usually it's just writing like random stuff but it's just like five minutes a day it's my goal I set a timer and I just write whatever comes to my mind and it's one of my favorite parts of the day that's great I love that I think um like so many other things maybe like in school or at some point people decide they don't like writing because of a certain assignment or because they didn't think they were good at it yeah but I do wish everybody like, I think most people can find some kind of joy in writing and expressing themselves. And so I hope that people can like come back around to that, that like it doesn't, whatever trauma you experience in middle school writing essays, five paragraph essays or whatever mm -hmm. it might be that it's, that there is a lot of joy to be found in writing. Yeah, for sure. Like make writing your own. It doesn't have to be this like highly structured thing, but um, turn it into the kind of experience that you would enjoy, you know? I love that. I love that a lot. Mm. Make writing your own. Yeah. Um, well, as with all of our episodes, we always close with the final question, um, which is what do you wish people knew? What do you wish people knew? It doesn't have to be about writing. It can be about anything. Oh, just anything. You have an audience of however many listeners this podcast gets. What would you tell them? Um, you do not need to prove that you're worthy of love. Um, getting a little vulnerable with you guys. Like that's something I've struggled with for most of my life, feeling like I was only worthy of love if I earned it from people based on good behavior or whatever. And it took me a long time to learn that I have value as I am, not because I'm following the rules or because I've accomplished cool things like writing a book, but like I am worthy of love and I am worthwhile as I am, period, end of story. Do you have any secrets for how somebody can feel, get to feeling that way? Um, be good to yourself. Um, do the things that bring you life, that bring light into your life. Um, treat, treat yourself how you would want other people to treat you. And uh, you'll find that you're, you're pretty all right. I think it could be really hard. <laughs> It can be hard to replace negative self-beliefs with positive ones. So those yeah. are good ideas. 
yeah, it can be tough, but, uh, you know, we're all work in progress. I like that. I think it's amazing how, um, we, you know, we've done what almost 40 podcast episodes so far. And it is, it has amazed me how many people have said something similar to that. Mm-hmm. Um, just this idea of being worthy of love as you are, you know, and it just makes me think just like, what, where did, yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it amazes me how many people have said that. And one of the reasons that Lauren and I started this podcast was we wanted to tell stories. We wanted to tell people stories because we feel like there are so many incredible people out there living these amazing stories of everyday, everyday people doing like amazing things. Um, Mm. And just so many people that I look up to and admire have, have said that same thing of, you know, you're worthy of love as you are. So it's interesting to me how many people we look up to struggle with that same concept. Like, yeah, we're all, like you said, we're all a work in progress. We're all doing our best and be kind to each other. I think that's, I think that's great advice, Aaron. Thank you. Appreciate that. Also, oh, tell us where people can find you. Oh, um, a great place to start is my website, AaronNHall.com. Um, if you're feeling so bold, just search Aaron N. Hall on Amazon and buy every single book with my name on it. Perfect. Thanks for joining us.